Hello, and welcome back to Shockingly Wicked, a true crime podcast where we bring you true crime cases from the headlines to the hometowns. I'm Brianna. I'm Alfie. Alfie. That's a new one. Where, yeah. where did that come from? I don't know. Okay, well, I appreciate the creativity. Thanks. So, we are your hosts for the evening. <laughs> it is quite late while we are recording this because... <laughs> we are dedicated got... to getting you an episode on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> that and also I just got back from a birthday party, so you would never yeah, know. Yeah, Bria's though. cool. Bria's so cool. This is the first like event I've been to in like months, so... <laughs> I, I do leave the house occasionally. To be fair, COVID. I mean, true, but even before COVID, I didn't really leave the house, so I can't use that really as an excuse. I'm trying to help you out. <laughs> no, there's... Don't trick anybody into thinking I'm cooler than I am. I know. <laughs> I'm lame and I'm proud. Happy so, fall! Yes, finally fall, thank God. It was actually like 60 degrees when I was driving home tonight. I was like, ah, oh, yes. This is the time I thrive. I know we're all sad to hear about Gabby yeah. being found dead. Yeah, I was really hoping for the opposite. But I, with these kind of cases, they never end well. And I think this has also brought up a really important conversation, too, that there are so many people who go missing every year. And we need to have this same energy that we had for Gabby for them as well. So if you know of anybody who's missing or you see posts of people who are missing on Instagram, feel free to share them with us so that we can share them to our audience. Because the more people who see it, the more likely they are to... Somebody's going to know something. Have they released her cause of death? Do you know? I have not seen. So I know. Did I, they found her? They confirmed it was I, her? Yeah, I know, I know that they confirmed it was her and they confirmed the cause of death was a, a homicide, but they didn't say how. And I'm sure they're probably keeping that to themselves until they can find Brian and probably um, Dog the bounty hunter showed up to his parents' house. I want to point that out. Really? I love dog. <laughs> wow. That is... Uh... I say I love dog lightly. I've watched his show twice, but... That's it. He's so. I he's, mean, a, he's, he's a character. He's a bad person. I, I don't know. I just remember a while back that there was some sort of thing that happened where he said the N-word, but that's the only thing I can think of. Okay, so what is our case today, Britt? It is your case, and it's changed a few times. <laughs> that's changed. So I was going to do Sylvia Likens, but or I think that's how you pronounce her name. But that one's, like, done a lot. And then I was going to do Pamela Smart, and I wasn't really feeling it. And then Gabby came up, and I really wanted to do... Well, okay, I thought Italian wasn't white, but I've been standard corrected, but I was already too deep into research. So. Yeah, Europe has different ideas of, like, race than we do here in America. So over there, they are more like, it's more colorism, and your identity is, like, from, like, what country you're from. Yeah. So, I mean. So I now I'm doing the case of Emanuela Orlandi, 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 Orlandi. But it's an Italian case, and I had to watch several YouTube videos, which are linked down in the show notes. But a lot of this case is in Italian, so I couldn't find a lot like of the background in English. So I did have to watch a lot of YouTube videos. But this is the case of the disappearance of Emanuela Orlandi. This should be an interesting one. We haven't done a whole lot of international cases, so I'm excited. Especially so, ones that have not had good coverage. <laughs> yes, that is very true. Do we want to announce the YouTube thing? 
Or do we want to wait until Yeah, the you end? you announce it. <laughs> okay. So before we get started, guess what, guys? We finally hit over 100 subscribers. I think la I checked earlier and it was 121. Thank you guys so much for subscribing. We officially have our own custom URL. It is youtube.com slash shockingly wicked podcast. We will reiterate that at the end of the podcast, but guys, thank you so much. I know we harassed you into <laughs> subscribing <laughs> to us. We overshot it by 21. I'm grateful for that. Next season, we'll probably have a little bit more original content going up there. We'll be doing a photo shoot, I think, in November, right? Yeah. So we'll probably do some like behind the scenes stuff that we'll post on YouTube. Keep an eye out for that. Anyway, now that we got that out of the way, Britt, take it away. Okay, so this is the case of Emanuele. Emanuele. Emanuela. <laughs> it's late. I'm so sorry. And it's I'm okay. trying you... not to butcher the Italian pronunciation, but I am very Southern and very English. <laughs> so this takes place in the Vatican. So the Vatican, if you guys don't know, is an independent state within Rome, Italy. It is a district territory ruled by the Holy See and headed by the Pope. And it is the world's smallest sovereign state with a population of less than 1,000. I didn't actually know people lived in Vatican City, but I guess that makes sense. Only only like less than 1,000 people. <laughs> so the Orlandi family was a very known, like within the Vatican, it was Erico, I'm just going to call him Eco, and <laughs> Maria Orlandi. And they were the parents of five children, so they had four girls and one boy. Emanuela was the second to the youngest out of five children. So her father was actually an employee of the Vatican Bank. And so because of this, his family lived inside the walls of the Vatican. So the Orlandis seemed like your average normal family. They were two loving parents with five very well-loved children. But on June of 1983, 15-year-old Emanuela was a sophomore and had been taking flute lessons that summer. Her flute lessons were at the... I'm going to type this and see if you can uh, pronounce it. So I know. I'm sorry. Okay. I had to pick the hardest case, the hardest <laughs> pronunciation case. I'm just really trying. Did. I'm so sorry, guys. Uh, the Tommaso Ludovico da Victoria School. Okay, so the Tommaso Ludovico de Victoria School, that's where she was taking her flute lessons, and it was right outside the Vatican in Rome. So Emanuela was reported to be a very talented musician, and I think she could play piano and obviously the flute, but she was very talented nonetheless. <laughs> Emanuela would have to take, so normally she would leave, have to get on the bus once she got outside of the walls of the Vatican and it would take her to the school for her music lessons. She had done this before, obviously, but on June 22nd, that day started like no other and she was about to leave her house to attend her lessons that night, but reportedly I guess she had like a weird feeling because she's walked, she's gone alone like before. Mm -hmm. But Pietro, her brother, she asked if he, he was her older brother. So she asked if he would come with her and he refused. And the two of them apparently got into like a big fight about it. But Pietro would later go on and say that this would be his biggest regret was not going with her that night. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, she's 15. I don't know how old he was at the time, but I'm sure he was a teenager. Yeah. And I, like, I don't want to go with you. Teenagers are buttholes, so that makes sense. 
Yeah, so Manuela's instructor reported that she had arrived late to her lesson that night and she seemed distracted the entire time. But in the middle of the lesson, she asked her instructor if she could leave about 10 minutes early. Of course, she was allowed to, but she didn't give a reason as to why she had to leave early. She just asked if she could leave about 10 minutes early. But she was reportedly seen speaking to a woman after she left right outside the school. And she would eventually, like, call home, like, so I think her lesson was at four she got out at five and then or it was at five she got out at six and then she was supposed to go meet one of her sisters for dinner that night at 7 30 but she called home and another sister had answered the answered the home phone and manuela explained like why she was late to her music lesson and she went on to say that she had been stopped by an avon sales rep i mean they're very persistent so that's i know my um my aunt used to sell avon and i was in like <laughs> fifth grade but she didn't tell me like what it was she was just like go walk around the neighborhood and go knock yeah. on people's door and ask if they want some so i did nobody <laughs> came to the door <laughs> i mean stranger danger so i get it so the sales rep had reportedly offered her money to distribute Avon information and brochures to a fashion show that was coming up, but Emanuela said that she would have to think about it and call home to talk to with her family before deciding if that was something she would be interested in doing. But like I said, she had plans at 7.30 that night to meet up with another one of her sisters for dinner, but she never showed up. So it was reported that Emanuela was last seen getting inside a large green BMW. And I think it was like an SUV, but I couldn't like find what it actually Mm -hmm. was. Yeah. But obviously when their daughter did not come home that night, her parents were quick to file a missing persons report. But as usual, the police did not take them serious and told the parents that she would probably come home the next, in the next couple of days. Always. If a parent tells you that their kid is missing... Like, especially one that's underage, even if it's just, like, that night, I think you should be a little bit more concerned than, oh, they'll just show up within the next couple of days. It's fine. Lord. So, the Orlandis insisted to the police that Manuela was not the type to just disappear. She was very responsible. She made this journey, like, twice a week. Um, so, on the next day, so she went missing... On June 22nd, on June 23rd, the police officers officially declared Emanuela as a missing person and her parents started to, like, look for their daughter. I don't know why they wouldn't just do it on the 22nd, whatever. Yeah. So, they called her friends, her music teacher, and anyone who might have been with her or would have saw her the day before. Mm -hmm. So, okay. (laughs) You tell me how to pronounce these names. Okay. Mario Volpiani? Mm Mm-hmm. Gui... Julio, that's what it is. Julio Gang, Gangi, Gangi. I don't know. I don't okay. know what that last name. <laughs> so two investigators, Mario Volpiani and Julio Gangi, arrived at the Orlandi household on June twenty fourth. So this is a day after the police officially declared her missing. So once, like after what I saw, so like once after that, like initial like oh she'll come back within a couple days when she was officially found as a missing person she was they were like actually taking it seriously like it wasn't like i don't know why they hesitated for that one night it was so weird so it was later found out that julio had met emanuela prior to her going missing like through her cousin but Uh it was never disclosed to the orlandi family prior to the investigation that's a little sketch (laughs) yeah but i don't think like I think he just cared about her because he yeah. met her through 
her cousin and I couldn't find like if her cousin and him were like friends or anything but I think he just like wanted to find her like I don't think it was sketchy Mm -hmm. in a sense it was sketchy that he didn't tell her yeah but so anyways the officers started to look through the house and obviously they went through Manuela's room trying to find anything they read her diaries They were trying to find something that would give them a lead or any information about her going missing. Mm -hmm. And they even attached like a listening device to the family's phone so they could track any phone calls. Mm -hmm. So Julio would begin to canvas the nearby parking garages to see if he could spot or find any information about that large green BMW that was reported Mm -hmm. that Emanuela got into. But he found a mechanic who actually came forward and stated that he recently worked on a large green BMW car who had Mm -hmm. window damages on the passenger side of the car. And these damages came from inside the car. Interesting. So the mechanic gave over the information of the owner and Julio was quick to go to that address. But that address led the officer to an apartment that was two miles behind the Vatican. I guess, like, I didn't look it up, but I guess, like, it's Italy. Like, you guys you guys can't see my hand motions, but it's, like, Italy and the Vatican's, like, dead in the middle. And just, yeah. I guess that's how it goes. So, of course, Julio goes straight to that apartment and he knocks on the door and he was greeted by a woman. She refused to answer any questions that he had and was very quick to tell him to leave. So, not long after Julio visited that apartment, he was quickly removed from the case and given death duty. And this was only, like, two days after Manuela disappeared. So, that's sketch. Yeah, I would say so. This was happened in, the, in 83. She's never been found. Spoiler alert, guys. And there's, like, tons of theories. So, I'm going to go over, like, a couple of, like, the big ones. The media was very quick to pick up the disappearance of Manuela, and the police would provide... Okay, this is so sketch. But the police would provide (laughs) the media with a number that would direct all calls straight to the Orlandi's house, not the police. So any tips could be called straight to the family. That's... That's weird. Yeah. Their phone must have been ringing all the time. It was God, how say, annoying. So, well, not only that, but people suck. So, you know, people yeah. called a prank called. They, like, told false leads. So, of course, the family gets tons of phone calls. Yeah. But one call came in on June 29th, and this caller identified himself as Pierre Luigi. And Pierre Luigi claimed that him and his girlfriend saw a girl who was playing the flute in. I'm gonna. I think it's Campa del Fiore. And the description that he gave of the girl matched Emanuela. He told the Orlando family that the girl was going by the name Barbara. Well, a few days after Pierluigi calls the Orlando household, the family got another phone call. But this time the caller said his name was Mario. It was two different voices, so it was two different men. Yeah. Mario's story was similar to Pierluigi's, a girl with a flute who looked a lot like Emanuela. And she was going by Barbara. But this time, the girl was selling makeup, and she was with another woman. Interesting. So, Mario told the family that Barbara was carrying a flute case. He reportedly had spoke with this girl, and that Barbara had told him that she would be performing at her sister's wedding later that year, which was true. One of Manuela's sisters was getting married in September of that year. Mm -hmm. But Barbara also told Mario that she had decided to run away from her home, but she planned on returning in time for her sister's wedding. Now, Pierre, Luigi, and Mario's phone calls are believed to have been false phone calls to try to throw off the police investigation. Interesting. So... By the end of June, missing persons posters were plastered all over Rome. These featured Emanuela's face, information, so if you didn't know her then, you know her now. Plus, the media is covering all of this. Well, Pope John Paul II was actually... I don't 
want to say close to the family, but they, like, they knew of each other, and, like, he, he obviously worked well with the family since her dad was working there, employee of the, the Vatican Bank. Mm-hmm. So during the weekly Sunday prayer, the Pope stated, I'm close to the Orlandi family. So I take that back. They are close. <laughs> the police were not happy about this because this let the media know that the Pope was emotionally invested in this case. And mm-hmm. anybody who is watching this case now knows that the Pope is emotionally invested. And a po- the Pope is a big deal in Italy. So yeah. it's like, what is it? Their leader? It's not their leader. <laughs> he is the leader of the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church is very big in Italy. Yeah, so, well, especially in the Vatican City where the Vatican is. So Yeah. So the Pope would go on to make seven more statements about the missing Emanuela. So two days after July 3rd, an anonymous caller called the Orlandi house. This man had an American accent and was later dubbed the American or the American man. But he claimed to be part of the Turkish ultra-nationalist Grey Wolves and that the family had already been contacted by two members of their group. Their names were Pierluigi and Mario. So, I mean... (laughs) He also claimed that uh, Emanuela... Hold on. You're telling me these people's names were Pierluigi and Mario. Yes. <laughs> cars. Okay. Uh, sorry, I'm just... Are you thinking of cars? <laughs> no, I'm thinking oh. of Mario, like Mario Kart and Mario and Luigi, like the brothers and the overalls. The yes, plumbers. I know who Mario so, is. Like... Well, I was thinking of cars. Well, his name I... is Luigi. I have watched cars all at once so i love cars i'm the opposite i'm sorry to say you don't like cars no not even the first one nope i mean then again that was kind of like after my disney time so i'm more of a old disney fan that's fair okay so (laughs) he also claimed that their group had taken emanuela prisoner and they would be willing to exchange her for the release of mahet Mahemet is Turkish. I'm I'm going to pronounce Mahemet. If I'm okay. wrong, please politely tell me. Please don't yell at me because I'm really trying my best not to slaughter the Italian pronunciation. Yeah. But this is also Turkish, so I apologize. So he also claimed that their group had taken a Manuela prisoner and would be willing to exchange her for the release of Mahemet Ali Akka. So, just a little bit about him, guys. Mehmet Ali Akka was born in Turkey, and he eventually became a smuggler between Bulgaria and Turkey. I don't know what he smuggled. I'm assuming it was, like, weapons and drugs, but I could be wrong. Uh, I could not find that. (laughs) There's there's not a whole lot else that you could smuggle other than people, so. (laughs) Oh, he could have smuggled people. He claimed that he received two months of training in weaponry and terrorist tactics in Syria as a member of the Marxist Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestines, which was paid by the communist Bulgarian government at the time. They have since denied this claim, but I don't know if it is true or not. Okay, so after this training, Akka was had decided to work for the ultra-nationalist terrorist group, the Grey Wolves. So in 1979, the New York Times reported that Akka had described the, that Pope John Paul II was the mask leader of the Crusades and threatened to shoot him if he did not cancel his trip to Turkey. The trip was not canceled, and the Pope decided to visit the country in the late November of 79. So, in 1980, Aga arrived in Rome and met with three of his accomplices. 
On May 13th in 1981, Aga sat in St. Peter's Square writing postcards and waiting for the Pope to arrive. Once the Pope had passed him, Aga fired several shots that hit the Pope. So Pope John Paul II was hit twice in his lower intestines, once in his left hand, and once in his right arm. Two bystanders were also shot, but Aga was stopped by nearby spectators and the Vatican security chief. So, like, they were going ham for Pope John Paul II. They say, you're not going to shoot the Pope. Well, damn. <laughs> Pope John Paul II survived this assassination attempt. Well, good for him. And Mohammed was serving a life sentence in Italy for his crimes because I don't think Italy uh, believes in the death penalty. Yeah, uh, most of Europe doesn't. Okay. I just want to point out that Pope John Paul II does end up going to the Italian prison and forgiving uh, Mohammed. So, I mean, that's. I don't know. That's the Christian thing to do. I, I, He's Catholic. Catholics are Christian. <laughs> are they? I mean, basically. I thought it was Judaism, Catholicism, Mo- well, okay, Muslim, so. Catholicism, and then Christianity. I thought it was the big three. Yeah, well, okay, so. The reason why there's like different types of Christianity is because there was the Catholic Church and then they split off. Because of Henry. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, and, it was because of Henry. Well, there was also Martin. And the Protestants. There was also, yeah, Martin Luther. So there's the Protestant Church. Not to be uh, confused with Martin Luther King. Yes. And so basically they split. The Catholic Church is still considered Christian, they're just not like. I don't know. It's not like the typical like thing that people consider when they think of Christians. They usually are thinking of like the Protestants and like the evangelicals and all them here in the United States. Who... I'm agnostic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Christian. I'm agnostic. Please don't send me hate because I will cry. I got one bad review. Well, it wasn't a bad review, but somebody did leave us three stars and said that the random things make it hard to listen sometimes that I say. And I apologize because I don't take medication for my ADHD. I am really trying to be better at it. But please don't hate me for being agnostic. If somebody hates you for being agnostic, then they're going to have to hate us both. So, (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, okay, so Mohammed, Pope John Paul II would end up going back to the Italian prison and forgiving Mohammed. I also read, so Mohammed eventually gets out of prison, and when Pope John Paul II actually dies, he goes and lays flowers on his grave. I don't know. I didn't really look too far into his, like, to their relationship, but from what I read, like, it's a lot, so if you guys want, like, a mini bonus episode, I could do something on it and kind of, like, explain the relationship after he tried to kill the man. Mm -hmm. I don't know what kind of person Pope John Paul II was, though. I don't either. I think he had a good reputation, but... I'm not Catholic, so I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the American uh, calls and says that they're part of the ultra-nationalist terrorist group, the Grey Wolves. They will release Emanuela for the exchange of Mohammed being uh, released from the Italian prison. Mm -hmm. So the family sees this call as like a chance to get their daughter back, so they're pleading with the Vatican to like release him, let's exchange, da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. So the same American man would go on to call the Vatican directly and tell them the same thing. He had a Manuela would free her in exchange for the release of Aka mm-hmm. or Mohammed. 
So Mehmet would go on to publicly declare that he did not want to be released from the Italian prison and he did not know who this group was. <laughs> okay. Well, then in a letter that was published in 2006, Mehmet claimed that Emanuela was in fact abducted and was used to get him released from prison. He stated that she and another young girl were both taken to a palace in, you know how to pronounce this word because I think you've pronounced it before. I think it's Lichtenstein. 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 <laughs> so they were being held in a palace in Lichtenstein. So Mohammed would eventually be released from prison in 2010 and participate in a TV interview in 2011. In that same interview, he stated that the Vatican hired him to assassinate the Pope John Paul II and that Emanuela was being held as a prisoner inside the Vatican before she was ultimately sent away to Europe to live as a nun. She was not allowed to leave the monastery, but her family could visit her anytime that she liked. He has like five different stories going on. I don't even know if he knows what he believes in. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to process all of that. I'm like, wait, so she was held prisoner in the Vatican? Is according But before to him? that, the Grey Wolves kidnapped her. But before that, he didn't even know who the Grey Wolves were. Yeah. So <laughs> he didn't want to be released, ultimately. Maybe was... maybe the American guy that was calling was somebody who wanted him dead. So he's like, nope, don't, don't. I'm, I'm safe. I'm safe here. <laughs> well, at the same time, I... Couldn't find a lot of information because they weren't able to, like, figure out who he was. But I'm wondering if it was someone who was, like, not even American. Mm -hmm. Somebody pretending to have an American accent. Yeah. I don't know how easy it is to pretend you have an American accent. but um, It depends because, like... Unless you know English very well. It's that. And then also it depends on, like, what area of America you, who's, like the accent you're trying to mimic because there's his like, accent was probably the south because that's what everybody mimics <laughs> so there's like southern accents but there's different southern accents for different southern states and yeah, then you have texas which is i'm from texas and i got a big hat <laughs> then you have like south carolina mm -hmm. um, mainly charleston who is more of the like I don't know if you guys know our governor, but Henry McMaster is, is very like, I'm from Charleston and this mm -hmm. is where I'm from. And yeah, very like slow, but very like almost proper in a sense. Mm -hmm. But then you have West Virginia and <laughs> yeah. those are the mountain people. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got Midwest accents and then you've got Northeast accents and then you've got like California Valley Girl and Surfer oh Dude. Oh my God. Uh, did <laughs> yeah. you see what Kylie Jenner just posted on Instagram? <laughs> yeah. So it's like you've got so many different kinds of, of American accents that you could do. So, I mean... For somebody who's not American, it's probably easier. Like, it's probably easier to trick somebody who's not American by having a fake American accent. So, I mean, I don't know. So, anyways, that was my thought. <laughs> <laughs> so, this American man would eventually go on to make 16 phone calls to the Orlando family in the span of several months. It's a lot of calls. That is a lot of calls. So, in one phone call, he played a tape for the family, and a girl could be heard saying, I'm a Manuela Orlandi, and I attend a science high school. So, my only problem with that, and like I said, I don't know if this was translated to English, but what, why wouldn't she say her actual school? Because her actual school name, I have it, actually. I will just type it for you. Okay. <laughs> uh, high school, Liceo Scientifico in Rome. 
that's okay so why wouldn't she say just that why would she say i attend a a science high school you know yeah i don't know if it was that sounds very uh very suspicious uh yeah i would say that's that's suspicious the recording did sound very familiar to Emanuela, but the police were very skeptical of it, especially since the tape could not verify she was still alive or not. It's a tape. It was a recording. Yeah, so it very easily could have been something she said that mm-hmm. somebody recorded at some point. Mm-hmm. Although so the American... This what? is before... I was about to say, although this is before social media, so I don't know how they would have done that, but anyway. Yeah, that's true. Oh, uh, well, a tape recorder. It was on a cassette tape. Yeah. But <laughs> well, that that's assuming that they had her there in person. I was thinking like, oh, they maybe like stole that like clip from some sort of like school project or something, you know? Yeah, like, school project. So. <laughs> well, it was the scientific school of yeah. Rome. Yeah. The American man would also go on to lead agents to a photo of Emanuela's school registration card, and it was found inside the chapel. I think it was the chapel uh, inside the Vatican, but that. Did not know. So on August 13th, the same terrorist group contacted the Italian news agency and publicly declared that the Pope must. What do you think that they declared? And we'll get right to that after a quick word about our sponsors. Um, must release what's his face. No, the Pope must declare that Mohammed is a human being just like Orlandi by the end of August. <laughs> what? <laughs> the this terrorist group, the Grey Wolves, yeah. contacted the Italian media, the news agency, and yeah. publicly declared that the Pope must declare Mohammed a human being just like Orlandi by the end of August. I'm so confused. What? What? I don't know. What? <laughs> I don't, so, I, I don't understand. <laughs> the Pope would go on to say during uh, one of his noonday prayers, I feel very close to the parents of these young students, sharing the unspeakable anxiety, and I pray that the Lord will touch the hearts of those who say that they are holding these innocent, defenseless beings. As always, I pray also for the person of my would-be assassin. I mean, he didn't really declare him a human being, but he... He called him a person, so... I was about to say, but he referred to him as an as a person, and he prays for him. Yeah. So, so I guess he I guess he gets a passing passing marks. They're like, all right, all right. We'll <laughs> let that one slide. Yeah. <laughs> On September 4th, the police found a letter that contained photos of sheets of music that Emanuela had at the time of her disappearance. So... The American man uh, also led them to this, mm-hmm. sounding very convincing. Yeah. But there's more theories that sound convincing. I don't know what happened to her. Oh. A later call from the American man played a tape that sounded as if a woman was being tortured. Obviously, this upset the Orlandi family, but the police uh, assured them that it was just a clip from a porn film. Oh. <laughs> How, how would they absolutely know this for sure? Unless I don't they... think I don't think they did. I think they were just trying to like. Uh huh. I'm sure keep one of them calm. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure one of them has seen that film and they're like, uh, <laughs> it's not not to not to worry you guys, but I've seen it. Don't worry. <laughs> um. So the police were still taking what the American man was saying very seriously and this man had requested to speak directly to the Vatican Secretary of State Cardinal Agostino Casa Rowley 
they granted this to him and gave him a direct line to the cardinal. Uh, oh. The contents of what was said has never been released to the public. I don't think it ever will be. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know what he said. So each time the American man called, it was from a different public phone booth. So the authorities were never able to trace him to a specific location. And due to the significant media coverage of Amuela's case, other terrorist organizations saw this as an opportunity to use her disappearance to push their own agenda. Sounds about right. Yeah. Well, they are seeing that the Pope is emotionally invested. They're seeing the the global news coverage of Amuela being disappeared and that her father is a Vatican bank worker. So they're like, oh, she must be important. Yeah. Which the police were not, like, back when he, the Pope first admitted that he was close to the Orlandi family, I mm-hmm. think the police were like, yo, bro. Yeah. <laughs> not, shut the fuck up. <laughs> not, not a smart move, pal. So that's why I don't think, like, I think maybe they're Turkish gray wolves. I personally, and you guys will find out, like, later on, what, like, which theory that I really believe in, but I don't think. Any of the terrorist organizations had her mm-hmm. due to the simple fact that they were trying to push their own agenda. Like, I think they were just using it as like, a, oh, yeah, we can do this. Yeah. So a group called the Turkish Anti-Christian Liberation Front wrote two identical letters that demanded the release of Muhammad and his accomplishment <laughs> and his accomplices, not his accomplishments. It's always the Turkish ones. Yeah, I was about to say. It's, I guess because he's Turkish. Yeah, but it's like a lot of... Uh, he must be involved with a lot of groups. But, I mean, that makes me think... Well, he was sig- he was successful in shooting the Pope. Yeah, but I think also... You said he was a smuggler, so maybe he was actually smuggling weapons to all these groups. So. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think he was... Whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's so late. It's like almost midnight. It's yeah. fine. I'm doing this for you guys. You can't say I'm not committed. Yeah, and I have to be up at 7.30 in the morning. So they also claimed response. This, uh, The same group, the Turkish Anti-Christian Liberation Front, also claimed responsibility of a disappearance of Morella Gregory. So... Morella Gregory was a 15-year-old girl. She went missing in Rome just months before Manuela, but her case didn't get gain the same media coverage as Manuela's, which sucks because they could have probably had, I think, the media paid attention or it got the same kind of coverage. They could have probably found Morella, but also prevented Manuela's mm-hmm. disappearance because the authorities claim that it's possible that these two cases are linked together. Yeah, and... Do you think that because Emanuela's um, her status, yeah, like her, yeah, her dad working at the Vatican Bank made it so that people were paying more attention? Absolutely, I think the um, her status and then being close to the Pope, I think that it, that gained more traction, especially when the Pope consistently talked about how he was close to the Orlandi family and um, begged for her return. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that also helped gain the coverage, but. They're both the same age. They both went missing in Rome. Obviously, like, had they paid a little bit more attention. And this is, like, what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. There's more. It sucks Gabby went missing. It sucks so bad. It sucks that she was found dead. But there's a lot of people who don't get the same media coverage because of their status or mm-hmm. their skin color or where they're from or if they're from, you know, 
impoverished conditions. Mm -hmm. It really sucks. And we should really just take people as they are. And if they go missing, let's use the same resources we used for this one and give it to this one. Absolutely. Let's not pick and choose. So the last call from the American man was made on October 27th in 1983. And then he was just seemingly never heard from again. And I think this is because all the other terrorist organizations starting to like get involved and trying to dip their hands in the cookie jar. Kind of prevented (laughs) him from... Yeah, he was probably like, man, people are stealing my gig. Yeah, they're like, ah, what the fuck? <laughs> so in April of 1984, an Italian newspaper ran a story about Amenuela's disappearance and mm-hmm. how she still hadn't been found. So this story also featured a photo of her and the Pope standing side by side. But her friend Gabriella Giadani was also seen in this photo. Mm-hmm. The next morning, someone called Gabriella's home and said, Tell Gabriella Emanuela is alive and well. So, school me. On Christmas Eve in 1983, Pope John Paul II visited the Orlandi household. Pietro remembers that the Pope saying that Emanuela's kidnapping involved international terrorism. I think they were. I think the police were believing that as a possibility uh, to begin with because of all the calls from the American. And like I said, they gave him a direct line to the uh, Vatican Secretary of State, so yeah. they were obviously taking what he said as gold. But I personally don't believe that theory. I just think that they were using it as an opportunity versus it was the truth. Yeah, because I mean, why would you kidnap a fifteen-year-old girl as like? As a terrorist organization, when you could do so much more to get the attention that you want from the Vatican, yeah. Why not kidnap? I mean, not saying do this, but why would you kidnap a daughter of the of a bank worker when you could just kidnap the Pope? You know? Yeah, or the banker. <laughs> like, yeah, true. Because I mean, it's, the Pope is probably more heavily protected than. Well, clearly not. He was shot four times. Yes, but now. Nowadays, he's got that that little what it was. They call it the Pope Mobile, where he's basically like encased in. A... Well, they call it. I think it's the Papel. Yeah, is that what it's called? The I, Papel. I think so. His uh, security team. And so he's he's a lot more like securely protected these days. But poor John F. K. <laughs> he wasn't given that same protection. No. Okay, so three days after Christmas Eve in 1983, the okay, so this is when the Pope would go and visit Mohammed Ali Aga in prison and forgive him. And that uh, this was like publicized. Uh, the media had like pictures of it. Mm-hmm. So in 1997, prosecutors would eventually, and I, it says they ended their investigation, but I don't know if this means they closed it or mm-hmm. they considered her a, uh, no longer a missing person, but as a what is it like somebody uh, a body. Oh, yeah. Um, Legally dead? Yeah. The Vatican wasn't willing to discuss or disclose what they knew about Manuela's case. Hmm. And one priest who worked in the central office at the Vatican was heard by a phone tap being urged by his boss to deny any knowledge of the Vatican investigation into Manuela's case. Mm -hmm. So, that's a little sketch. In 2012, a memo on Emanuela's case was written by Federico Lombardi, Lombardi? Mm-hmm. Federico Lombardi, the Vatican's official spokesperson, and this memo was stolen by the Pope's butler. So I just want to let you guys know the Pope gets a butler, and I think that's really cool. I, uh, I really want a butler. <laughs> if only we were as important as the Pope. So this memo was made public, and in this memo he wrote, if 
the non-collaboration with the Italian authorities was a normal and justifiable affirmation of the Vatican's sovereignty, or if its circumstances were withheld, we might have helped clear something up. Hmm. Federico Lombardi would later said his memo was incomplete and misunderstood. Mm-hmm. So, you take that out, you will. <laughs> so, if it was incomplete, then why were you sending it? I don't think he was... I don't... Like, it doesn't say how it was, like... Yeah. Stolen. So I don't know if the guy stole it off his computer. Maybe. Well, because, like, I'm thinking, like, if it's a memo that the butler stole, maybe he stole it, like, in transit. But that, that's the only But it's thing also in 2012, so I don't know. Oh, in 2012. Yeah. Hmm. In 2017, an investigative journalist would publish a five-page document that had been written by a cardinal and had been hidden in a locked Vatican cabinet for years. Mm-hmm. This document would go on to suggest that the Pope had been involved in Emanuela's disappearance. Pietro himself has said that he believes that Pope John Paul II knows exactly what happened to his sister, but decided not to do anything with the information or do anything to help solve his sister's case in order to save the image of the church. That I do believe. I do believe that Pope John Paul II does know what happened, but I don't know if it would necessarily ruin the image of the church, but it might... Uh, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, well, I wouldn't be surprised because the Catholic Church is kind of known for covering things up. So. so, a lot of people believe that Emanuela was killed within hours of her going missing. I think that makes more sense than having her, like, kidnapped and yeah used in terrorist groups. So, a theory, uh, this is the theory that I believe in the most. So, there's a well-known gang in Rome called the Banda della Macliana. Mm -hmm. And I did this so well. I'm so proud. This gang operated from the late 70s to the early 90s. And so they had links to mafia politicians and intelligence services. They invested a lot of their money into the Vatican Bank. Mm -hmm. And one of the main... Oh, I'm sorry. They invested a lot of their money into the mafia-connected Banco Ambrosiano. Mm-hmm. One of the main shareholders of this bank was the Vatican Institute, but the bank would go on to crash and millions of dollars were lost. Well, damn. So an attempt to recoup their losses was to go through the Vatican. And the Vatican had been warned long before Emanuela's disappearance that they were going to be targeted due to them being a shareholder. Yeah. And one of the main shareholders of the bank. And... Rico Pettis, he was one of the gang leaders. He was formerly involved with a woman named Sabrina Minardi. Mm-hmm. Sabrina had claimed to have seen Emanuela with the gang and where she was being kept. Sabrina also claimed that she saw Pettis disposing of Emanuela's body by dumping it in a cement mixer on a construction site. I believe that her father was a banker yeah. at the Vatican Bank. That makes way more sense. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Although, how would the body not have been found if she was put in a cement mixer? <laughs> yes, yes, we know. We know I, there's a lot of questions. No, that, that, that was, <laughs> that's just my like biggest question about that's that. That's what but, I thought at first. Because like, even if you didn't like see the body because it was encased in concrete, I think that... like Somebody would see it. Yeah, because if it's in a cement mixer, then like... Well, it would, it would be the wet cement, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's well, like Sabrina, would... 
pour it out and then the body would come out anyway okay yeah (laughs) sabrina was a former drug user and had suffered from memory loss as a result that could come into play that's possible but other witnesses did come forward to corroborate her story Mm -hmm. and a sketch had been released of the man that was driving the green bmw who was reported picking up eman willem when she was first reported missing and it looked a lot like pettis interesting interesting so another gang member came forward and said that the gang did kidnap Emanuela and did this to blackmail the vatican into returning their lost money that makes sense she's a vatican bank worker employee's daughter Mm -hmm. they lost millions and millions of dollars the vatican was a main shareholder in the bank that they were investing into that makes sense yeah yeah that definitely makes a whole lot more sense than like turkish terrorists yeah kidnapping her so, Emanuela's friends reported to the police that the same men had been seen following Emanuela on two separate occasions uh, before she went missing. Mm-hmm. So, the second occasion had been three days before she went missing. A car stopped while Emanuela and her friends were walking to the Vatican. Mm-hmm. A man that was in the passenger seat pointed towards Emanuela while saying, it's her. They were in a green BMW. Oh. So. Anyways. Yeah, this definitely makes a whole lot more sense than the other stuff yeah so rico pettis was eventually shot and killed in 1990 and in 2005 an anonymous call was made to the italian tv program chai harvester and this caller said that on the matter of emanuela orlandi to find a solution on the case go see who is buried in the crypt which is where rico is buried and i will tell you the name of it hold on because i didn't write it down okay okay the saint apollinaire basilla basilica so yeah basilica so the saint apollinaire basilica um apparently that was like a whole controversy in itself but anyways he was in a crypt there so this caller is telling this tv station go and bury him go find Emanuela. so the orlandis after hearing this obviously begged the vatican to open up the tomb mm-hmm. and it was eventually like their uh their request was eventually granted and they opened it in May of 2012. They found nothing related to Emanuela. No. So. For years, DNA tests were done on skeletons in that crypt because uh, they found other skeletons uh, mm. and none of them have matched Emanuela's age. Yeah. In April 2013, Marco Sieti, uh, he's a filmmaker, had contacted the same TV show mm-hmm. that the anonymous caller did. And he led a reporter to a studio where a hidden flute was found and claimed it belonged to Emanuela. Mm-hmm. Pietro agreed it was very similar to the one that she had, but DNA tests were performed on the flute to see if any of her DNA was on it mm-hmm. and none was found. So it's still like, we're still not sure if it's actually hers. Yeah. So in 2018, humans' remains were found while doing renovations to the Pope's embassy in Rome. These remains were speculated to be Emanuela's, but were not her remains. Test results released that they were actually remains of a Roman man who died between 190 and 230 AD. So, that's not her. Oh, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> so He's a little old. <laughs> yeah. So, an anonymous tip was called in and said to find Emanuela look under a statue of an angel pointing to a grave. The statue is in a cemetery behind the Vatican walls. The cemetery tourists aren't allowed in the cemetery. Like, it's very, very, very popular. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry, not populous. Very secret. 
Yeah. The Orlandi family have made a request to have the Vatican open the tomb where this caller is claiming that Emanuela is buried. And they granted it. Mm-mm. So, and this is actually, um, was in 2019. So, on July 11th, 2019, an attempt was made to open the tomb. So, the tomb that they opened mm-hmm. belonged to two German princesses. They opened the tomb. Mm-hmm. The bones of the two German princesses were not there. So, that's the whole mystery in itself. Yeah. See? This case unopened so many mysteries. She she messaged me last last night and was like, look, I've gone down a conspiracy theory rabbit hole. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, guys, guys. So they're reported saying the princess bones were likely moved during uh, renovations to the like graveyard that happened between the 60s and 70s, and nobody moved them back. But I think somebody stole them. I mean, you, you never know. So... While they're trying to find the bones of these princesses, investigators found two osseries containing 24 bags of bones. That's a lot of bones. Yeah, they're, so they test the bones because they're like, maybe Emanuela's bones are in this. Mm-hmm. A lot of, most of the bones are centuries old yeah. and none of them have been Emanuela's. And people are like, where the fuck are these? Because it's like, fucking bags and bags of bones and they're like why are there so many bones and the same thing they think somebody moved them and forgot to put them back and so they put them in an ossery to hide them <laughs> but look we found them so anyways that's the case <laughs> <laughs> who just puts bones in bags <laughs> that's what i'm saying well they did renovations in the 60s and 70s so i'm thinking like somebody like moved them and put them in bags but forgot to like list because they found thousands of bones in these bags yeah that's why i'm like there's there's got to be a better way to <laughs> to move bodies than just putting the bones in bags. That just seems disrespectful. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Where are the bones of the two German princesses? That's what I want That is know. what I'm concerned about. Yeah. So um, nobody's found her yet. Yeah. I mean, you said, you mentioned that at the beginning, so I kind of prepared myself for that, even though it was like, <laughs> I think that's one of my biggest things with unsolved cases is like, I know it's like when I watch like unsolved mysteries or whatever on Netflix and stuff, I'm just like, I know it's going to be unsolved. That's the whole point of the show. But then I'm like, I'm still hoping as I'm watching, I'm like, they're going to, there's going to be a, uh, some sort of resolution. I really hate doing like unsolved cases or like people we've never found because it really bothers me and like i told you last night it was like in a conspiracy rabbit hole but i was really just trying to figure out where these freaking bones of the german princesses were <laughs> i was like what do you mean you just lose two people's bones like yeah. the princesses what do you mean yeah like these these are royalty i think that's a little bit different i mean they're dead they're dead royalty but they're still royalty <laughs> like and i was like and why is german princesses buried in italy that's an excellent question <laughs> but anyways that's the story. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I I hate that there's not even really like any sort of clues. <laughs> like there's so many different dovetails to the story that it's like anything is possible. Side note: uh, the Conjuring house is for sale for uh, one point two million. <laughs> I, I I saw that the Conjuring house was for sale. I did not see it was for one point two million, but no, thank you. Um, and the condition of the house is why would you pay 1.2 million for that house because it's the conjuring house that's why you yeah but the movie wasn't even in in that house oh i know (laughs) it doesn't really matter though it's like it's still got the uh still got that attached to it so people are gonna pay big money i wonder if they'll leave annabelle there (laughs) yeah i i would 
be like, bye. I don't want her there. Yeah, I don't either. Annabelle is terrifying. Anyway. Thanks for joining this case. Yes, thanks for joining us this week. Next week starts our Halloween episodes. Well, our spooky season episodes, I should say. Like I mentioned in a previous episode, our October episodes are going to be a little different. So we're going to talk about some cases where movies have been made based off of them. And so the first part of the episode is going to be us talking about the case, the details of that. And then we're going to basically kind of do a movie review. We are watching these movies together. <laughs> we watched one the other day and it was quite, quite fun. We're going to give you a movie review, tell you what is true to the actual story and what is made up or fictionalized. And yeah, so that's going to be our spooky season. And then we're going to wrap up the season on Halloween. So you've got, I think, like five more episodes out of us. And then we're taking a break. We're taking a break. You won't. Well, I say you won't hear from us. You might still see some stuff on social media, but you won't get new episodes until the new year which gives you a chance to catch up on all the old episodes to send us case suggestions all that fun stuff just you can still engage with us through social media talk about some of the older cases we've covered anything you want to do we're we're around we're not completely disappearing but <laughs> we need Where a break are we? oh <laughs> This mystery. Hmm. Find out next year. <laughs> <laughs> yes, find out next year. <laughs> Joke's on you. We we just post, uh, we rickroll you on January 4th. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find us on social media. We are on Instagram at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. We are on Twitter at Wicked Podcast One. We are on TikTok at Shockingly Wicked. We are on YouTube at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. We finally have a URL. I'm so excited. So you can type that in and you'll find us. We'll pop right up. And then we are also on Facebook as a Facebook group. That one, we don't have a specific URL. Just find us at uh, by I mean, I don't in. think anybody is like pretending to be us. Yeah. They could be. I mean, they are. It's uh, potentially, uh, but uh, just, I don't care. yeah, it's a private Facebook group. You just search us up in the search bar, click join. It should automatically let you in. If it doesn't, you'll be let in within 24 hours because I'm checking Facebook. I don't post often, but I'm always lurking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always and there in the shadows. Chris is a moderator on there, but he does a terrible job. I should fire him. <laughs> I mean, he's not getting paid, so I can't blame him. He, he, he wants some rights. And then if you have case suggestions, you can email those to us at shockinglywickedpodcast at gmail.com. If you have production questions or anything along those lines, you can email me at Brianna at shockinglywickedpodcast.com. If you have inquiries about promotional stuff and all that fun social media stuff, you can reach out to Brittany at Brittany at shockinglywickedpodcast.com. And then also stuff for Patreon. Shoot that to Brittany. Stuff for website. Shoot yeah. to me. We're still in the process of working on that think we're getting to the point where the website is almost done i'm very excited to show you guys we'll have a specific launch date too yes we haven't talked about it so. well we need to get some promotional pictures taken before we can do that so is in november yes so that is all from us for tonight i'm gonna go to bed except i'm not me actually too. i'm not gonna fall asleep probably until like three o'clock in the morning it's fine. That's my normal. So thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. <laughs>